Welcome to St. Martin the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music, those of you in the building and those joining us live online. We're talking about the sky uh, today and the sky is the most obvious cause for dwelling on the wonder of God, except the sky isn't a term that's much used in the Bible. Uh, the phrase the scriptures tend to use is the sun, moon, and stars. Why? Because those were thought of in a culture that doesn't have much other than natural light. The sun, moon, and stars were thought of as the three principal sources of light. We find on the fourth day of creation in Genesis chapter 1, God made the sun to rule the day and moon and stars to rule the, uh, to, to rule the night. Moses, interestingly, warns the Israelites not to worship the sky, and he uses that same phrase, the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, and in, in Psalm 148, the psalmist calls on the sun, moon, and stars themselves to worship God, so we have that sense of all creation becoming joined in worship. Joseph, very significantly, Joseph, the one with the technical dream coat, See, when he dreams, sees the sun, moon, and stars all bowing down to him. And obviously his brothers see that as a sign of arrogance, but it's, uh, it's not too far from the truth as the story goes. But that motif appears as a type of Israel, sun, moon, and stars, in Revelation chapter 12. Now, it's our tradition, which we're reassuming at Great Sacred Music, this being our second occasion back in the building, uh, to sing a hymn together at the beginning and the end of our gathering. And we're going to start with the, the spacious firmament on high. Joseph Addison published an article in The Spectator in 1712. There was a time when The Spectator published articles about Christianity that weren't about the Church of England going to the dogs. Uh, and 1712 was about the last time uh, that The Spectator published an article commending practices for strengthening faith. What's fascinating about this article is it's at what you might call the high watermark of the confidence that you could harmonize scriptural faith with Newtonian physics. Uh, you have to remember Newton published his major works in 1704 and 1707. This is what Addison said in the article, the supreme being, interesting name, the Supreme Being has made the best arguments for his own existence in the formation of the heavens and the earth, and these are arguments which a man of sense cannot forbear attending to, who is out of the noise and hurry of human affairs. Then, uh, at the end of the article, he wrote a poem, uh, which is the hymn that we're going to sing in a moment, summing up this sense of confidence that Newtonian maths and physics uh, can gladly underwrite the Christian scriptural faith. We remain seated, the voices will stand and lead us as we sing the spacious firmament on high and note the tune is known as Addison's.
Now we're going to hear three contrasting anthems, all of which uh, deal with the sky in one way or another. <coughs> Excuse me. Bill Vanston's Morning Glory Starlit Sky begins with 15 gifts of creation that God offers to humankind. They include tremendous seas and grace of truth. Vanston then goes on to describe how the agony behind this love is hidden and offers a series of paradoxes expressing how God works in Christ. Drained in making others full, <clears throat> bound in setting others free, poor in making many rich, weak in giving power to be. The poem is the postscript to his book, Love's Endeavor, Love's Expense, a classic account that every priest of my generation, the Church of England, will have read, published in 1977, a story of God's kenosis or pouring out for creation. Then we have Jonathan Dove's Seek Him That Maketh, uh, which is a setting of Psalm 139. The organ part, with its sparkling use of high registers, subtly evokes the stars. The theme of light, and starlight in particular, is an endless source of inspiration for composers. The anthem begins with a musical image of the night sky, a repeated organ motif of twinkling stars that sets the choir wondering who made them. The refrain, Seek Him, starts in devotional longing, but is eventually released into a joyful dance, finally coming to rest in serenity. Seek Him was commissioned by the Royal Academy of Arts and first performed just up the road at St. James Piccadilly in May 1995. Then we have William Romanus's hymn, Round Me Falls the Night, an evening hymn, praying for Christ's light in the darkness, Christ's word in the silence, and Christ's embrace in the vulnerability of isolation. Romanus was a humble 19th century rector in Leicester and in Twyford, Hampshire.
very different genre now. Daniel Shute was born in 1947, entered the Jesuit order as a young man, had a prolific career uh, as a composer, and hit the jackpot with his 1981 song, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky, which, in a vote for favorite Catholic hymns in the tablet in 2004, came number one. The song was originally written for two voices, one speaking for God and the other responding for humanity, but quickly became a congregational hymn. Shoot left the Jesuits in 1986 and is now a composer in residence at the University of San Francisco. If you've been to an ordination in the last 25 years, you've probably sung this hymn before. We remain seated and the voices stand and lead us as we sing I the Lord of Sea and Sky.
we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. If you have, we have an ever-increasing number of ways you can make a donation as you leave. Uh, we thought three was a lot, and this week it's four. You can actually put money in a plate. I, I know that's a quite a new notion for many people, but, but we've reintroduced it this week uh, after the pandemic. So you can put cash in a plate, you can text, you can go on the website uh, and give. All the details are on the back of the sheet. But uh, if you want to see great sacred music go on for another millennium or so, you know, how, you know what to do. Um, do take note of uh, both Great Sacred Music at 1 p.m. for the foreseeable future um, and every Sunday at 3.15 Choral Classics as well as all our usual services and concerts. The cafe is open downstairs if you want a late lunch. Lots of ways to participate in our life. Uh, we're going to finish with something a bit different, as we often do. Uh, Josiah Allwood wrote these words about the composition of this gospel song we're about to hear. It was a balmy night in August 1879 when returning from a debate in Spring Hill, Ohio to my home in Morency, Michigan, about one o'clock a.m. I saw a beautiful rainbow north by northwest against a dense black nimbus cloud. The sky was all perfectly clear except this dark cloud which covered about 40 degrees of the horizon and ended up about halfway to the zenith. The phenomenon was entirely new to me and my nerves refreshed by the balmy air and the lovely sight. Old Morpheus was playing his sweetest lullaby. Another mile of travel, a few moments of time, a fellow of my size was ensconced in sweet home and wrapped in sweet sleep to awake and look abroad and remember the night was to be filled with sweet melody. A while at the organ brought forth a piece of music now known as the unclouded day. A day and a half was bestowed on the four stanzas. Interestingly, Bob Dylan later called it the most mysterious thing I'd ever heard. Thanks for joining us.